Welcome to the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. I'm Alexandra Pecci, Revenue Cycle Editor for Health Leaders. My guest today is Dr. Jason Greenberg, Chief Executive Officer and President of Northern California Anesthesia Physicians. Dr. Greenberg, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me today. As we continue to weather the COVID-19 crisis, every dollar of revenue counts for health systems and physician practices. So it's more important than ever to plug the holes of revenue leakage in your organization. That's what Dr. Greenberg is here to help us with today. So Dr. Greenberg, can you please give us a brief background on some of the main sources of revenue leakage for revenue cycles and for your practices in particular? Yeah, that's a great question, Alex. Um, Billing and collection for anesthesia services is fundamentally different than other specialties. And I think many people would argue it's more complex and without a smart specialized approach, uh, there's a lot of potential to leave revenue on the table. One of the main issues with revenue leakage is simply not having competitive commercial payer contracts. Before the revenue cycle management process even begins, every practice needs to ask themselves, am I reaching my full reimbursement potential? And if not, how can I address that sooner than later? There isn't much any of us can do from the level with regards to governmental reimbursement, but the quality of our commercial contracts will make or break any practice. At the actual level of collections, the key is playing to strengths. Perhaps you're in a large anesthesia practice that has effective resources to properly code, bill, and collect for complex anesthesia claims. The key is knowing and being honest with yourself and your practice as to what you can do well and what you need help with. Without an effective system in place, practices are at great risk for incorrectly coding claims or simply not taking advantage of all the revenue available to them. In addition, practices can ineffectively work their accounts at the collection level, leaving potentially significant revenue behind. So what about within your own practice? Can you tell us some of the main challenges around revenue leakage that you have experienced? Sure. My practice in particular is an interesting beast. Uh, We're a mid-sized, truly uh, independent anesthesia practice uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. We are a 55-person all-MD practice that services a large tertiary hospital system with multiple campuses as well as other freestanding ambulatory surgery, uh, ambulatory surgery centers. Uh, the, the consolidation of the medical industry has not spared the world of anesthesia practices. Since 2009, when I actually finished my residency, there's been a reduction by 60% in independent practices in our area. And many have been absorbed by large private equity-backed consolidators and some by academic medical centers. There are immense number of advantages for physicians to maintain their independence, but one of the challenges is the ability to provide robust resources in the area of revenue cycle management. For our practice in particular, we struggled early on to find an effective partner to manage the revenue cycle. Some of our early experience left large sums of uncollected revenue on the table. I'm a physician first, and that's what I do. I, you know, As a group, our greatest recent challenge has been COVID-19, and it's amazing you know, the response of my colleagues during this pandemic. It hasn't really given them much time to focus on the business of medicine. And I don't think the general public would want them to do that either. So for us, having a partner that can do this effectively is the key thing. Uh, And having them do it in a cost-effective manner is is essential. Uh, We've been fortunate to have a relationship with Abio, uh, our our partner in this revenue cycle management uh, for the past six years. And since then, we've never looked back. 
Well, so with that said, can you walk us through some of those strategies that you've implemented? Yeah, I think the, um, the key to understanding any issue is knowing the data. Uh, from a high level, every practice must know what their percent of allowed collections is. Uh, how well is your practice collecting governmental products? How well are you doing with commercial insurers? That data should be available to you. Uh, and if not, it's easily obtainable through third-party analysis. A number of years back, we looked at this data and quickly determined we could do better than we were doing. It became difficult to make the change to a different partner, but I found that the initial headache was dwarfed by the upside benefit. Uh, you know, optimizing your revenue cycle management is, uh, is perhaps the most controllable thing any group can do. And once you're comfortable with that piece, you can begin to drill down on solving the more difficult and less controllable uh, revenue problems for a practice, which are payer mix and utilization. To manage these issues, creativity and data are key. Um, if you have a practice that is, for instance, 75% Medicare and Medicaid, you can't necessarily change that. But what you can do is think of how to share the burden with the hospital or center that you're working with. As an aside, in anesthesia practice, our Medicare reimbursement rates are far lower than other specialties. And it requires us to seek alternative sources of revenue. In one specific example, we were asked to contract with an outpatient center that had a payer mix uh, that was unsustainable. I mean, I simply put, the revenue generated from anesthesia services did not fully cover the expense of the anesthesiologist. Payer mix data gathered from the center in coordination with our own data from our partners allowed us to make the case to the center that a subsidy was needed. In some way, this harkens back to the first philosophy I mentioned, which was maximize your contract potential. Kind of on the other end of the spectrum, at another site, we had an excellent payer mix, but incredibly poor utilization of anesthesia resources because, time, because we use time-based billing, an efficient day is one with minimal anesthesia downtime. At this particular site, we found that two rooms were running for only part days, requiring partial utilization of two resources. Again, with good data, we calculated an average day based on average rates and acceptable utilization, allowing us to justify a subsidy. We've also solved this issue in the past by altering room scheduling, but I think there can be challenges with that approach. So with that said and all that talk about data, can you tell us a little bit more about how your strategies have actually helped like, and include some of that data? Sure. So looking at our actual numbers, uh, we, we actually, in our own practice, we had an increase year to year of 15% increase in revenue. Uh, from just making some of these adjustments based on looking at utilization, payer mix, uh, and optimizing uh, our RCM partner. Uh, that's incredibly important for a practice like mine because we work in the San Francisco Bay Area, which as you can imagine, having competitive salaries is essential. Um, the easy approach to challenges with payer mix and utilization is to just drop the business. And this can be short-sighted. Um, you know, because competitors may take the business at a loss to gain geographic presence. For smaller groups such as mine, much care has to be taken to avoid losing ground to our competitors and creative solutions are a must and good data is key. In these examples, we were able to raise our effective contracted rate by as much as 50 to 60%. And we did that by not solving the payer mix problem, uh, by increasing commercial exposure, which is not really something you can easily do, or demanding that one of our surgery center uh, surgery centers lose business by decreasing the amount of time they offer to the surgeons, but we simply made ourselves whole by collecting subsidy. 
What are some more overlooked areas that revenue cycle leaders should be digging into as they seek to eliminate revenue leakage in their own organizations? You know, again, I think it, I think it starts with an honest assessment of your own practices, strengths, and weaknesses. How much of the revenue cycle management process can you actually manage yourself? Is it cost-effective managing it yourself? If you are outsourcing, how good of a job is your partner doing? You've got to look at the data. You've got to look at what your allowed collections are and how great of a job you're doing collecting everything you can and not just make assumptions. After that, every practice should be making a detailed evaluation of how well they are compensating for payer mix and utilization deficiencies. You talked about being honest with yourself. Do you find that that's not always the case? Yeah, I do. You know, we are physicians first and oftentimes as a physician, it's easy to just clock in, focus on your patient, do what's right, which is what we all should be doing. But the business of your practice often gets left behind with that approach. And in the end, you end up hurting yourself and even your patients if you can't attract uh, the best doctors and maintain a bottom line that's competitive in your area. So switching gears a little bit, let's talk a bit about COVID-19. How has the crisis affected your practice's financial performance and also its revenue leakage? Well, I think there are very few that are affected by this pandemic. Uh, in many ways, I consider myself and members of my practice extremely lucky. Our clinical work is essential, and I can't tell you the satisfaction I have in taking care of patients. The other part is we're also employed, which is an important perspective to keep during this difficult economic time. During the shelter in place and resulting elective surgery hiatus, we saw about a 75% decrease in our surgical volume. The Bay Area, where we practiced, was the first place in the nation to shelter. So we felt the effect early and hard. Um, but over the course of months, we have slowly recovered and are now at about 85 to 90% of baseline surgical volume. From a revenue leakage standpoint, we've been fortunate to have a partner who seamlessly transitioned as the crisis evolved. We effectively saw no change in our revenue cycle management other than our own lack of productivity due to the shelter in place. In addition, some payers provided generous advancements and the government stimulus in the form of the Paycheck Protection Program loans and the HHS funding stimulus also helped. Do you see another uh, dip in elective procedures on the horizon now that the numbers in California are starting to uh, spike again? Well, I think that is a, a great question and nobody knows, but the numbers certainly are going up. And the one thing I can say is I, I think that the hospital systems will perhaps take a different approach the second time around. The, the, the sheer loss in revenue to the medical system and the hospital systems and, and independent practices was enormous. And the approach that was taken was kind of a proactive approach to shut things down because we didn't have great testing, we didn't have enough PPE, and it was the proper thing to do. Now that testing is far more robust and we have significant more PPE, I think that they will be taking more of a surgical approach to um, decreasing volume and not just taking a kind of a blunt approach to it. So I do think that there will be areas, uh, and the, particularly the areas that are harder hit, will see decreases in surgical volume, but I don't think it'll be as much extreme across the board as it was. Okay, and we should note that we're recording this at the beginning of July 2020, so just a context for listeners there. And finally, last question, 
how can anesthesia practices and health systems better work together to ensure the financial health of themselves, you know, their own practices and their patients? Yeah, I think that this is um, a key question and something I've personally thought a lot about with my own practice. Anesthesia practices and health systems have to think of themselves as partners rather than adversaries. In many ways, they're incredibly reliant on each other. Without the hospital system and patients that are coming into the hospital system or ambulatory center, anesthesiologists would have no place to practice. In addition, anesthesia practices are becoming increasingly financially reliant on these large hospital systems. At the same time, if anesthesia services suddenly halted, the hospital would cease to function. Look at the staggering losses during the shelter in place. A huge component was from loss of elective procedural volume. Both entities rely on each other. When I personally walk into any negotiation, I try to put myself in their shoes. What do they need? What value can I add to them? What solution will we create a win for both sides? At the end of the day, it's, it's not a zero-sum game. Are there any partnerships that you are particularly proud of for your own practice? Yes, I think we have an excellent partnership with our local hospital system. Um, I think we have fantastic partnerships with our multiple surgery centers we work at. And I think we have a, a, a fantastic partnership with uh, our, our revenue cycle management company, Abio, uh, who serves in a capacity far more than just managing the revenue cycle process, but they also serve uh, in providing business services, advisory services, and technology for us to function properly. Dr. Greenberg, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you for being here and sharing your expertise with us. It was a pleasure. And thank you listeners for joining us on the Health Leaders Revenue Cycle podcast. Until next time, keep taking care of patients and each other.